All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. This is a Web Canopy Studio production. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Dropping the Gloves, another quarantine episode here. I am getting a new microphone soon, Tim, so you'll be able to hear me loud and clear, hopefully by next episode. It's in the mail. So, Oh, I got one, too. I got oh, one coming. Oh, good. So we're going to be sounding crystal clear in a couple episodes, everybody. Don't worry. I know we sound like garbage, so I apologize. Just bear with us. It's going to get better. So, Tim, what's going on? you still in your house? Have you left the last few days? I have not seen the sunlight in two weeks. Really? No, it, it's it's funny. No, I, I still go for bike rides and, and I go for runs every day. I, you kind of have to at this point to keep yourself sane. It's sort of, I do it right after the workday ends just because it's something to look forward to. And I know if I, if I wait, I won't do it. But it's funny talking to, I got clients really all over the world and talking to them every day, seeing like the full range and how people are reacting to it. So some people are taking it, you know, not too seriously. And other people, one woman I talked to literally has not left her house in two weeks. They get food really? delivery. All she's gone is to her backyard. That's as far as she's gone. Where? What countries do you talk to? So this, this woman's in Detroit uh, area, uh-huh. Oak Park or something. Um, but I got like, I, I think I mentioned last week, a client who's in Paris who's on a total military lockdown. Like the, the army is patrolling the streets, making sure no one steps outside. Um, so there's quite a range there. And, uh, you know, I, I just hope this whole thing is passing soon. But the the more I read, the less likely it seems it's going to be. No, we're just we're just quick. at the the um the beginning of it. it. It's going to get bad this week and into next week. So buckle up, stay inside. I've been working out of my house, not working out muscles, but working on my house for the last couple of days. So that's been nice to get my mind off of everything else going on. I'll bring my I bring the kids out. They run around in the woods. I kind of just you know, I start a big fire and burn wood and then I just work on the house. So it's been fun. It's been getting my mind off of things, but. Well, yes. One of the, one of the funniest parts of all this is there's this Twitter account that is um, tweeting like episode ideas of how the cast from the office would, or the characters from the office would react to the coronavirus. And they are so, so funny. Like I wish the show is still going. Like one of them said something like Michael Scott, got an email from corporate and misinterpreted work from home to think that everyone should work from his home. So we had the, the entire office at his, at his condo. 
Um, and there's another one that was like, um, he ignored an email from corporate about everybody going home early because he thinks they should all be together at a time like this. <laughs> it's just so, so funny. It doesn't sound funny at all, but I'll, um, I'll just take your word for it. Maybe oh, it's not, on. maybe it's not translating. You just don't know the office. I know the office very well. I don't know the random office Twitter feed that some guys doing throughout the coronavirus. But anyways, nice. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure some people will get a kick out of that. Swing and a miss, huh? Swing and a miss is right. But anyways, you're staying safe. You're not sick. You don't got the sniffles. You're doing good. I, I feel great. Never felt better. I've been exercising a lot and I feel fine. All right. Well, one of these days we'll be able to look each other in the eye and <laughs> life, life will be, life will be back to normal. But not today. Are you going to hug me? No, we've never hugged in our life. So why would I start now? If we haven't seen me, this is the first time since you know me, the longest you've gone without seeing me. I know. It's been very depressing. But look, I got some good news. We're going to have Johnny Taves on the show this week or next. I've been reaching out to him, uh, reaching out to Marley McSorley. B. Sinet has been ghosting me, so I don't know if that's going to happen. And, um, but more importantly, we got Chris Nyland coming up next. Knuckles from Montreal Canadiens fame, won a Stanley Cup with them, made the All-Star game, didn't get to play in it, but um, a legendary Montreal Canadiens player. We got him up next. He's a pretty interesting guy. His father-in-law was Whitey Bulger. If you guys know that movie that came out, one of the biggest gangsters in Boston forever. Tim, you know him. You're from South Sea, right? He's, he's the biggest gangster in Boston history for sure. Yeah, they made a, a movie about him with um, Johnny Depp. I never saw it, but I heard it was pretty good. It's pretty good. Parts of it was filmed in the neighborhood that I lived in. The Southie neighborhood, right? You're a Southie well, guy? You and yeah, ben specifically, specifically like the street I was on. Oh. Because um, Southie's a pretty big neighborhood. Did oh, you ever that. see Ben Affleck growing up? Yeah, every time I went to the bar, he was there. And then Matt Damon was the next one over. Yeah, they were all, they were all there. Casey was there. Gronk would show up. All those <laughs> guys. It was just a Boston reunion every night. That's great. Don't give Anyways. all stories away. No, I won't. Anyways, everybody, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Chris Nyland's coming up. It's going to be great. And uh, we'll get uh, – We'll get back to you next week. Have a good uh, have a good week, everybody. Stay safe. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, Tim Wurzberger. Tim, what's up? Hey, how you doing, man? And hey, I'm well. I'm very well. You know why? We got a we got a new co-host today. Who is it? It's the Knox, Chris Nyland. Can you believe that? How's it going, guys? Man. Oh, great. I've been trying to get Knox on the podcast for years now. He's always said no. But somehow yeah. he's got some free time. And now, look, we got him. We got him for the next half an hour. We're so excited. Nux, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me. And I never said no. I always said yes. <laughs> you seem to find more more important people than me to have on your I show. I know. I know. I'm sorry. Well, listen, I do a lot of charity stuff around the country. And everywhere I go, I run into Chris. We, we've cross paths at least more than a dozen times in the last year year and a half and become really good friends and i tell you what every event we go to the people flock to this guy because he's just got stories he's got the machismo he's got the charisma and i don't know what it is people just love being around you it might well, be the accent i don't know it's it's i wish i had it because you got it my man well I don't know. I, a lot of people always like my accent, right? Because I get that Boston accent. I don't know what they see in it. When I hear myself, John, I think I sound totally like, like from another planet, but other people <laughs> like it. Like my, my girlfriend, Jamie's with me only for my accent. She claims, but <laughs> I, uh, 
I uh, honestly, when you say that, and and it's fun doing all this charity stuff and getting around with, you know, you know, some of the guys you played against, some of the guys you you watch, some guys you didn't play against. Like I never played against you, and um, but there's that bond there because you had that role of being a fighter and everything. And um, I I think guys like us obviously have uh, a lot of stories to tell, and people have. Actually, I think we're a lot more interesting people than the guys who score goals, to be honest with you. I think they're a bunch of boring um, fellas, uh, to be honest I've, with I've you. always said that. All, we, we just did a thing with uh, Ray Bork in Oakville, I think it was. And yeah. Ray would tell a story. and be very interesting. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Ray's my favorite player, Boston legend. But then me and you would start telling stories, and I felt like people were – a little more interested because I don't know. Yeah. I think our stories are a little more interesting rather than, Oh, I scored four goals that game. doesn't really, uh, it's not too interesting when you tell that story over and over again. So yeah, well, totally you say people flock to me, but I see that people flock to you too. It's the same thing. And I think when you really look at every market in the national hockey league over the years, the fan base falls in love with the tough guys, whatever it is. Now, what could it be? It could be, well, they see a guy out there fighting for his teammates. They see a guy out there dropping the gloves, sticking up for his teammates. Guy that doesn't back down from anybody. And I think a lot of people would love to be able to do that. And they can't in their everyday life, one. Uh, and Two, I, I think they admire it because, you know, again, it's it, the position and the, and the job that we did. It's such a tough job in the game of hockey. Uh, I think a lot of people in some ways envy it and and wish they could do it. So, and they, they seem to connect with those players. Plus most of the players who do that job seem to interact a lot more in the community, whether it's a charity event, um, they're stopping, signing autographs uh, and the people just, they, they like to connect with them. I think there's a whole lot more personality in those guys than um, some of the other players, but yeah, there were some superstars too with great personalities that get out there and connect, oh, for sure. interact. But I think always I have a soft spot for the tough guys. So, all right, for those of you guys who aren't up on hockey history or even hockey players in general, I'll just give you a little backstory on Nux. So he was drafted by the Montreal Canadiens, 231st overall. That's back when they used to draft 500 players for some reason. And you were picked 231st overall. Um, crazy enough. Anyways, he worked his way into the lineup. He's won a Stanley Cup with the with the Canadians in '86. He's played for the Canadians, the Rangers, Bruins. Um, known for his fighting, but also a really, really good hockey player. Put up some decent points in a lot of years, and just a hard, hard worker. So that's that's just a backstory of Nux. You got over 3,000 penalty minutes. Uh, I don't know. You you told me a story one time when you went into camp, you signed a contract with Montreal, and who did you run into? What what Hall of Famers did you see before camp and you're like, yeah, I'll be on your team next year? Yeah. I love that story. Yeah, well, it, here's what happened. I was uh, drafted in 78, and then um, uh, the Bruins were playing the Canadians in the playoffs in um, 78, 79. They were going for their fourth Stanley Cup in a row. And I went to practice in Boston. I was playing at Northeastern at the time. And I w went with a friend of mine uh, and we went and watched the practice. So my buddy's there at the time and he says, hey, why don't you ask them, go and ask somebody from the team, tell me you're drafted by the Canadians and you want to go to the next game up in Montreal. Well, great. See if they'll leave your ticket. 
And I'm like, yeah, okay. So I walked up this short little fat guy was standing outside the locker room. It was Claude Rell, who ended up being one of my favorite coaches. Uh, he was a developmental coach, and he really, really helped me. Actually, he's the guy who got me called up. But I went up to Claude, and I said, hey, um, you know, I got drafted by you guys. Um, I'd love to go to the next game in Montreal. Could you get me tickets? He said, wow, I don't take care of that stuff. Uh, go see that guy over there. So the guy I went to see was a traveling road secretary. His name was um, Howard Grumman. His father was the general manager. So I went up to Howard. I said, gee, you know, I, I just talked to uh, Coach Rowe, and he said to come and see you. I was drafted by you guys, and I'd love to get a couple of tickets next uh, game up there when the Bruins are back in Montreal. He said, sure. He said, but who are you? I said, well, I was drafted by you guys last year in the 78 draft. He said, really? what's your name? And I said, Chris Nyland. And he goes into the, uh, he actually went into the Canadian's gut book and he flipped through the pages and he looked and he got to my name and he saw me. Okay. Yeah. You were drafted by a Sure. I'll, I'll leave you tickets next game. So <laughs> after the practice, Franny and I go outside, we jump in the car, we're going to leave. And, um, there's Guy Lafleur, Gilles Lupi and Jacques Lemaire standing in the street corner looking for a cat, right? And we're like, Franny sees me. He said, let's go pick him up. We'll give him a ride to the hotel. And they, yeah, let's go. We pull up in this 78 T-Bird, right? Like real pimp mobile. It was hilarious. Franny had it. looked like a gangster. It was, it was so funny. We pull up and Franny goes, hey, gee, you guys want to ride to the hotel? And they kind of looking at us, right? Flowers smoking a cigarette. They all got Stanley Cup rings on. So they're with Lupien and Joe Capite, right? He was a tough guy. And they jump in the car, they get in the back seat, and we're driving. And we're on the way to the hotel. So Franny's saying, Yeah, geez, good luck, you guys. You're playing well, blah, blah, blah. And I turn around, I said, Yeah, I said, I'm going to be playing with you guys next year up there. And like LeMaire's looking at me, Yeah, you're going to be playing with us? How are you going to do that? And I said, Well, I got drafted by you guys this year. And he said, Really? He gets drafted by us. He said, where do you play now? I said, Northeastern. And he goes, what round did we draft you in? I said, the 17th. I was all proud, right? The three of them started cracking up. I didn't know what they were laughing at. I was just happy to be drafted, right? I didn't know nothing about first, second, third. I didn't care, right? And they're kind of all laughing. <clears throat> anyway, we drop them off. And then Franny and I drive up to Montreal to see the Bruins-Montreal game. We get to the window. I'm all excited. They left me tickets, right? I get to the window. I go, hey, tickets for Chris Nile. And they said, sure. That'll be $375. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Uh, I'm like, I, I, I didn't have that on me. Franny, thank God, I had his credit card. I was still in college. I didn't, you know, I was working as a bouncer, making short money. I didn't have a lot of dollars. Franny put his credit card. Anyway, it was a hot credit card, too, by the way. And, uh, <laughs> and then we went and watched the game. And next year, I end up in training camp. There, and boom, uh, I'm in the first, you know, it was back then we had like four teams in camp and you play against each other. And I'm on LaFleur's team. And he's standing, he's staring at me and he's staring at me in the room and looking over. And I'm like, oh man, Flowers looking at me. What the hell? And he's looking, he's looking, he goes, hey, how about Knack? He said, it's you. You're the, you're the kid from Boston. I said, yeah, I told you I was going to be here, right? He said, yeah, you did. You're here. So, boom. Then we're out on the ice, and we end up playing together. <clears throat> and I'm out on the ice. I'm lining up in a face-off, and there's big Jules Lupien looking at me. And I never had a fight on the ice, really, once in college. 
and Lupian's looking at me, and I had been running around. The, and I thought he was wanting to fight me. He's looking at me. He's looking at me at the face-off. He goes, Tabernak, it's you. You, the kid from Boston. You said you are going to be here. I said, I told you I was going to be here, right? And sure enough, that year, Lemaire had gone to Switzerland. He retired my first year. He went off to Switzerland. At the end of the season, he came back, and their season was shorter, right? So we used to go across the street from the Montreal Farm, went to lunch every day. And um, we were sitting there, Larry Robinson, Bob Gaynor were all there. And LeMaire had come, all, come, come in to see all the guys he played with, right? So LeMaire's sitting there with Larry, and I get, he leans over Larry. He says, hey, where's that kid, uh, the new kid in Ireland, the one who's fighting everybody? And he said, oh, he's right here. And Larry said, hey, Chris, meet Jock. And Jock looks at me and goes, have a knack. You're the kid from Boston. I said, yeah, I told you I was going to be here. It was so funny how it worked out. The three of them, they all said the same thing. You're the kid from Boston. They all remembered it. Anyway, it, um, it was such a funny time um, and a great time for me to, to break in with such a great organization. I mean, I, again, I, John, I, I, I hated the Montreal Canadiens. I hated them because I was such a Bruins fan, right, growing yeah. up. Yeah. They used to beat us all the time, and I end up there. It was nuts, nuts. How how did you make that team? Because you don't see many two hundred and thirty first overall draft picks even sniff the AHL, let alone make the NHL. John, here's how I made it. And and one, well, I I was always like halfway decent hockey player. wasn't was never the best on any yeah. way, but I always worked my butt off. Kind of always watched the Bruins. I love the Bruins. I played physical. I did most of my fighting growing up in the street. I know, you know, a couple summer league fights, stuff like that in the ice, but nothing crazy. And when I got here, I, um, I got, uh, went through training camp and I got sent to um, Halifax in the American League. And they had a small team that got pushed around by Maine the year before. Maine was Philadelphia's farm team. And they spanked them four straight in the playoffs. They spooked them. They had, they had quite a few guys that could go. They had a real tough team. So they wanted to beef up um, their American League team. And anyway, I got down there, and Bert Templeton was the coach. Uh, he was well-known coach in the Ontario League, and he was known for having tough teams all the time. Like, every, he had at least five or six guys who could <clears throat> fight all the time. Anyway, I get that training camp, and I hear he hates college kids, right? So <clears throat> Timmy Burke, uh, another American kid, say, hey, just get in the back of the line. Don't do any drills for us, man. He said, if this guy just doesn't like college kids or American kids, so don't be first in line. And it was this poor kid, Richie Costello. Uh, he got drafted out of Merrimack, and he, he went first in line, and, and he screwed the drill up. Well, Templeton stopped the whole thing, and he says, Costello, you stupid son of a blah, 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 blah. He said, I thought you're a college kid. I thought you college kids were supposed to be smart get me into the line you dumb son of a and the kid the kid <laughs> that was it that was it he was gone the next day it was hilarious i felt bad for him but it was hilarious and anyway <clears throat> i got a five-game trial for 200 dollars a game Whoa. and the first five games this is 1979 the first five games were no first four games were at home i didn't play a game our first game on the road is in Maine against the team that spanked in the playoffs. 
And so I'm going to get my chance. My family, my father, everybody comes up. There's probably like 20 people there. <clears throat> First shift I get out there, I start running around playing, you know, the type of hockey I grew up watching. It was the Bruins. So I, and, and again, I didn't think I was going to be a fighter per se. I wasn't going to take any crap, especially from all these Canadian guys who, you know, <laughs> thought like, well, they own the game. It's their game. And the U.S. guy. And, there wasn't many U.S. guys in there at the time either. And I, um, I ended up running Cochran, and he turned around and slashed me. I turned around, I dropped my gloves, and away we went. Well, I hit him with a right. I come across, I hit him in his uh, right cheekbone, and I ripped him right open. And the blood come pouring. He went nuts, ripped his shirt. I was going crazy. I was trying to get at him. The rest was great. Anyway, both get kicked out of the game. The first shift. The first shift. <laughs> My father comes down in the locker room. What the hell happened? You know, we got 20 people. I say, hey, dad, I, I, what the hell? You know, he's all upset that I get kicked out of the game and they paid for tickets and all that. I'm like, what the hell? Come on, it's American Hockey League. It wasn't that much. Anyway, <laughs> the next day, uh, uh, Templeton calls me, the coach. He was also the GM. He said, hey, uh, he called me Beaner from because uh, Beantown. He said, hey, Beaner. I said, yeah, what's up? He says, uh, uh, he says, hey, uh, who's your agent? You got an agent? I said, no, I don't have an agent. He said, you don't have an agent? I said, no. I mean, agent for what? No. And nobody wanted me. I had a 17-round pick. Who wants a 17-round pick? They ain't going to make any money, would you? And um, sure enough, um, he said, well, Montreal, he said, you better find an agent because Montreal wants to sign you a contract. And I made a couple calls. I got in touch with an attorney back home. and. Uh, he called them and uh, off we went. They offered me a contract. Um, I got a signing bonus, <laughs> signing bonus of twenty five hundred Canadian. That's not bad. Seventeen five in the American League and sixty thousand in uh, the NHL. And I was there for forty nine games, <clears throat> and I played. I had fifteen goals and ten assists. I had twenty five points in forty nine games. I had 304 minutes in penalties. I fought every night. After that, after that Cochran fight, boom, my name went around the league. Like someone beat up Cochran. Someone, you know, cut him open, blah, blah, blah. Next thing, every town I went to, people were coming after me, trying me. And I ended up going through all, honestly, I'm going to tell you, I might sound like a cocky bastard. And, and in some ways I am. I never would have made it. But, I went through the league. I, I went right through. I fought every guy in the league. And honestly, there were no more guys left to fight. I got called up. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think that there's nothing to bet on. Well, well, guess what? You would be wrong. Our exclusive partner still has hundreds. Did you hear that? Hundreds of sports, events, and games to wager on. Or let them bring Vegas to you, baby, with their online casino and my personal favorite, Black Jack, who always double down when you have 11 regardless. All open 24 hours a day and all online, including their $750,000 poker series. If you're into props and entertaining betting, entertainment betting, you can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, the stock prices, and even the weather. I hope it's going to be sunny tomorrow. Visit their website and join today to receive a 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit 
be sure to use promo code BLUEWIRE. Bet online, your online wagering experts. Which is funny. You played at Northeastern University, so you were a college guy, just like I was. Did you did you get into many like street scraps? Like, is that where you got your toughness from? Yeah, it's gone. But where I grew up, and you know, I hung around Charlestown, South Boston. I had a yeah. lot of people that played hockey, and and we were out in the bars a lot, and I fought a lot in the streets growing up, just hanging around the street corner. You know, we used to we used to play different street corners in basketball. We play them in street hockey. Guys would hang around on one street corner, we'd be on the other, and we'd date or someone hung around Fallon Field, which is a big place, and our corner <coughs> would play other groups, and we'd have these street hockey games in the schoolyard, uh, whether it was Catherine Memorial High School or any of the public shop school, all these. We would have these street hockey games on a uh, Saturday. All right, we'll play you guys at noontime or something, and we're going on there, and we have more fights, and I got like crazy. You know, there's no referees, guys, and then we fight and then like in a typical hockey game and then then break it up and get playing again. But uh, and a lot in the street, you know, uh, different stuff in bars and just the neighborhood I grew up in. You know? Yeah, it's funny because I, I was similar in the same way where I, I got into a few tussles in the bars and the streets and stuff. And then when I got to hockey, I'm like, this is not bad. Like, it's just you're yeah. fighting yeah. one one guy and you're just going back and forth and you're barely getting hit. So it's not, you're not worried about getting, you know, sucker punch left and right by random people. So it's not that scary. So, ah, that's cool. So, Knox, what are you, what are you doing now? You're in Montreal. You, get, you yeah. got your radio show. Like, how is it going with uh, the Canadians? Do you want to dig into that a little bit, how their season went? If they're, I figured that they were happy the season's over. Like, they got to oh, yeah. be ecstatic that they don't have to go out there and play anywhere because they were just a garbage fire at no, the end there. Like, huge garbage fire, big dumpster fire, Johnny. And, and listen, you know, I, I was here. I, we had some good years when I was here. In the 80s, we still go with this team, and there's an illustrious history here. And, a lot of tradition and all that, but boy, uh, <clears throat> things have gone the other way uh, as far as the organization. And you know, for the last five years, not making the playoffs this year, building on last year because they were right in it to the end last year. Last year, this team was exciting to watch. They, they were, were exciting, yeah. Yeah, they were. They were a fun team to watch. They were in every game. I look forward to watching the play this year. Oh my God! But this the craziest thing about them—they're a small team. They're uh, num- uh, the uh, second smallest team in the league, and they um, they were a team this year that <laughs> I think they were like 17, 12, and four on the road. <laughs> and at home, they were like, uh, I think they were 10, 16, and four or something. It was crazy. They could not win hockey games at home. And, you know, the fan base would uh, the fan base here have been spoiled over the years and some of these uh the younger kids here just don't have a clue of what this this organization was all about except right, their yeah. grandfather and their father and this team this year again they're too small they don't have really no superstars up front the one superstar up front they supposedly have superstar i mean i love gallagher uh, but <clears throat> even he needs to be insulated uh this kid he he got more courage and more get up and go and more drive than uh, honestly a lot. Uh, uh, I haven't seen that in a long time. Maybe since Ira um, back in the day. I mean, 
this kid, he just, he, he's a throwback player and he's so, yeah. he's not a big guy. And I just love the way he plays. Uh, Thomas Tatar played well since he's been here. He certainly um, came through big time. And then that kid, Deneau. But after that, <clears throat> Phil Deneau's top line center right now. This team will be in good shape when he's the third line center. Let's put it exactly. that Exactly. Like those guys are good players. Yeah. Those are good players. But if those yeah. are your best players, you're in trouble. Like, yeah. You're not going to win many games. Yeah, you know it. And, um, you know, that on the back end, they're okay. Kevin Price. But here's a team when you struggle like they do, and that's what surprised me about Claude Julian. I thought they would have been a whole lot better defensively. And, and boy, um, if you can't. You can't run and gun with the, the better team, then you better be able to shut them down. And that's pretty simple hockey. If you can't get five guys to go, go out there in a group and, and play that shutdown game, oh, you got problems. And, you know, the, the one guy that they relied on for offense who kind of had a good start, Drew in, he had a miserable finish last year. Although if, if he was halfway decent, they might have made the playoffs. But that kid's a perimeter player. You know, they're banking on this kid to be their go-to guy on the power play and all that stuff. And, you know, he just um, – he tiptoes through the tulips. And, you know, that doesn't get it done when it comes playoff time, you know. Um, you no, know, I, I played against him a few times. He's a very you know. forgettable player. Yeah, he's yeah. A very forgettable. You, you can knock him off his game pretty pretty easily. You just play he's, physical on him. He just goes away. So, yeah. with that being said, with, with the moves, you mentioned Drouin. You mentioned a few other guys. Does Bergevin, I don't know if you can answer this, does he keep his job because of this league shutdown? I've been saying it for years where he should, he should have been gassed a few years ago. Yeah, I can say anything I want, and I do on my show. Um, does, he, does he stick around now because of this, or what's, what's the status on him? He had, uh, two years ago, he signed a five-year deal, uh, I think, for uh, uh, $5 million a year. Now, he brought in oh, and all that, and – um, he thought things were going to get better. They did the first year, and then, God, um, <clears throat> all of a sudden, he comes up with this new plan to, uh, we're going to build through the draft now. We've got some good picks, and they did. They picked some decent players, and they had some good picks. But his first five years here, this is his eighth. His first five years, he was banking on that core group of guys that were here to win. And he never re- – he tried to add to it, but he, he – he always added third or fourth liners. He never really yeah. added that the big okay. He got two, two Weber for Subban and all that, but he never really added up front and a very a lot of role players up front. So it never got better there. Then all of a sudden, they come out and said, "Well, we're going to stick to this plan. We're going to retool." So when you retool, you're not rebuilding. So when you retool, you're going to try and win while you're re, kind of rebuilding the team. You're replenishing the socks. And they failed at winning why they're trying to retool. And, boy, you look at Kokanemi, they take him. They didn't draft the best player at the time. They drafted by need. They, everybody was crying about a big sentiment. So he kind of succumbed to the pressure. This kid was ranked around 13. They picked him at yeah. in, the, in the four hole, whatever it was, the three hole. And they, the player they really needed, or no, not needed, should have taken is Kachuk. They needed that nasty big winger who can go out there and they get too many small guys and they end up yeah, taking Imagine him on their team right now. Yeah, he would imagine, fit perfect on that team. Yeah. yeah. 
so they made some mistakes. Uh, you know, Palin came in here. Yeah, this is first game. Everybody thinks he's going to be the ne- next coming uh, Gila Fleur. I'm sorry about that one. Uh, you know, <laughs> he could be a serviceable NHL player someday, but not, you know, he got his four goals in his first game. Everybody, the expect it was almost unfair because the expectation was, okay, this kid's going to, he's going to make a big difference his first year. No, nah, it didn't work. So, um, they do have some guys in the pipeline, Romanoff, that Russian defenseman. I mean, the thing about the Druan deal with Sergachev, that Sergachev is, you know, Markov was at the end. Sergachev was that cornerstone defenseman, that kid you can build, you know, uh, for years to yeah. come and have him on the blue line. And they traded, you know, hoping that Druan could play center, and he couldn't. They were they, they needed a sentiment. They go get a winger to play center and that failed. So he's made some mistakes, Bergman. And <clears throat> I don't know what it is, but um I know one thing. I Molson really likes him. And uh So you, so you <laughs> think he's there for a few more years? Well, I think he's there until until next year and if things don't look good next year, um, during the season he may get fired. But that might not be a good move either at the time because yeah. you're going to fire a guy during the season. Who are you going to replace him with? And, and that's the other thing here, Sean. You know, the coach has to be French. I've and, said that before, yeah. And the GM. But I don't think the GM has to be so much French. You've got to be able to um, converse in French. Bob Ganey was the GM here. Bob Ganey could talk in French, no problem. He was bilingual, a uh, guy from Ontario. But Bob, yeah. Bob, he... Um, he was here for years and he spoke French, but the, that's one of the problems. They limit their pool, the talent pool. And I'm not saying that French guys can't coach and French guys can't manage, but boy. It limits the pool. Yeah, yeah it limits, it limits the pool. So, do, you, do you speak French, Nux? Je parle un peu français, monsieur Scott. <laughs> oh, I think, I think we have another candidate. <laughs> Chris, Chris, I want to ask about uh, Claude Julien. I mean, it was, it was kind of a funny situation when he was brought on a few years ago, given that he was coming from the biggest rival uh, south of the border, the Bruins there. Yeah. How was he received by Montreal, when they, you know, by the city and the fans when they first brought him on, and, and what do they think of him now? Well, uh, Jim, he was, he was here before, right? And um, he coached um, in uh, the Ontario League, and he – he was familiar and from the area, not far from, he, he was born not far from Montreal, just outside. So, and him being in Boston all those years, it didn't make a difference. When he came, um, I think the, the people were happy. He was an accomplished guy. He won the cup in Boston. Uh, he was there 10 years. His shelf life was, I mean, he, he was past his due date, but he had won that cup in the recent past there in Boston. So they were going to let him, more or less play his contract out but boy when he left boston <clears throat> that team went in a whole different direction you know uh, you know they brought that new coach in and everything changed he came up here and boy um all of a sudden he had a team that boy was not near the team that he had in boston and the thing that happened with him in boston is they just stopped listening to him they didn't want to hear from him anymore uh it was falling on deaf ears and he moved on. He got here, and I'll be honest with you, I don't think uh, uh, 
I thought it was going to be a lot better than it was. And but you know, sometimes a coach is only as good as uh, some of the talent he has. I I think Bergman hasn't given him a whole lot to work with, to be honest with you. Yeah, he's making chicken salad with chicken. Uh, you got chicken it. Poo. Yeah. So, Nux, listen, you've gotten a ton of PIMs over the years. 358 was your highest, 338. You've, you've consistently over 200. Yeah. What What was a the, the toughest, hardest fight you've ever been in? Were you ever scared of anybody? And how did you treat your body to be able to do that night and night again to fight, break your ankle? You had so many injuries during your career. What did you do to just – lace them up and get back on the ice again. John, I, I don't, I, I think it was just, you know, the way I was brought up, uh, you know, my dad was a green beret. Uh, he was a tough son of a gun and, uh, uh, still is 84 years old. Uh, he brought me up a certain way. He, he was demanding, um, <clears throat> he demanded me to work and, and <laughs> demanded that I work. And I just had that, um, I had an enemy that just never quit, never say die. And, you know, I just, you know, I wanted to play and I wanted to have as long a career as I, I could. And I know I grew up watching the Bruins. And when guys slowed down fighting, I always saw that the exit was pretty close. And it was. I'd always hear it on TV. They'd say, ah, oh, the guy, you stop fighting and they get rid of him and this and that. And then I get in, I'm going, man, you know, I got to, I got to do my job. I started doing my job. And I actually, John, I'll be honest. I I love what I did. I know a lot of people say I hated it. I love sticking up my teammates. I always love sticking up for people that are incapable sometimes of sticking up for themselves. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you I wasn't scared. No, I wasn't. I, I wasn't backing down from no one. Uh, but I had that fear, like any guy does. You get, you know, this is the fear of losing. It's the fear of getting your, you know, your nose put back in your head, uh, breaking. Who, your who would scare you the most? Who were you most scared of when you played? I really wasn't. You know, it's funny. I fought one of the guys that fought a lot, and I had him on my shoulder. There was Dave Brown. I loved fighting him. He, he, he was, was way animal. bigger than me, but I got in tight on him. Like I, I fought it. I fought smart. And I had to because you know I'm not I might be 200 pounds when I, I was playing, but I I didn't have the height and I didn't have the length of my arms. I had to fight smart to survive. I had to fight smart so I could stay in the league as long as I did. I I seen guys they they get tuned up, they break their jaw, they break their eye socket, something like that. It shakes your confidence, and it's not easy to come back from. And I I'll be honest, I I'm not I'm not. I had that fear of losing. I wasn't scared of anybody out there. I'm going to fight anybody. I don't care. It's just I, 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 I had the fear of losing, no matter who it was. I never put guys in classes. I never said, okay, this guy, he's real tough. This guy, he's, he's not that tough. This guy, he's about the same as me. Because I always felt if I did that, I'd be, I'd be hurting myself. And I, I, I took every fight the same. I said, I got to use head here. Pick my way through the fight, and 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 just you know be able to fight the fight I want to fight, not the fight the other guy wants me to fight. A lot of guys had the reach on me; they wanted me to stand there and go wide open. I mean, that's stupid. Like I'm going to yeah. fight you on the ice. You're going to dangle me out at the end of my arm, and you're going to beat me like a redheaded septile. 
And I, I had to get in tight on guys with long arms. They didn't like that, but I didn't like them holding me out at the end of their arm either. So, you know, I guess for me, my big fear was the fear of losing. I didn't want to lose. And, yeah, I lost. I got my hat handed me a few times, but I never, when I think I did, I ever really get hurt bad in a hockey fight? No. I have a couple of black eyes, bloody nose, a little nicks here and there, my hands cut up. But no, not, you know, my mother hurt me worse than some of the guys in the NHL. <laughs> no, that's a motivator, man. Not not wanting to get embarrassed in front of 20, 25,000 people. That'll motivate you to not, like, do your best, not lose that fight, because there's nothing worse than getting into a fight at home and just getting it handed to you and like your home crowd being like, what yeah, on earth? And I think that, I think a lot of guys felt like that. The last thing you want to do, but the key was to always show up, but you can't lose yeah. showing up. Right. You know that. And John, yeah. <clears throat> your side, I mean, you're a big man. That's like, you're one of the biggest guys that ever played the game. I mean, now whether you were scared or not, I don't know, but I wouldn't think so. I think you've, but you might have still had that fear of, well, I, I might get hit with that one lucky punch. And just like, takes one. Yeah. I always got nervous fighting the small guys, the, the Cam Jansons of the world. I, yeah. They were just unpredictable and you never really knew. And I was always worried, like, why do you want to fight me? You're, you're tiny. Like, don't you want to just take a pass? And he's like, let's go. I'm like, well, okay. Like, you must know something. I don't. So yeah. I don't know. One more question here. What do you, what do you think about the league now? Then? We, we're talking about fighting, the role how important it is, especially on the Canadians. You say it's lacking. What do you think of the league right now? Do you think they need a little more grit, a little more oomph a fighter, you know, not to mix words? Or do you yeah, think more I, I, I wish it was still in the game to some extent because, honestly, when you look at – they talk about concussions. Listen, most of them come from hits or cheap shots, elbows. Uh, some are getting their head knocked off the glass by a cheap check not many of them come from fighting now i'm not saying guys can't get hurt fighting no because they can you can break your nose you can get cut open pretty good you can break your jaw you can lose some teeth but i think when you look at the history of the game the majority of the concussions that have happened are from um those cheap shots as far as the game today and could they use it i'd like to see it in there it ain't never coming back i don't think they'll ever take it out totally but yeah. it'll never come back the way it was i think it'll be in there as a kind of a a little outlet for maybe two guys that uh, halfway decent hockey players that get so pissed at each other for whatever reason and they decide okay we'll settle this and they have a fight <clears throat> but it's never going to go back to the way it was and i think in a way uh it hurts the game some and it helps it some but yeah, I, I, I agree. You know, the game is it's a little watered down at times. It can be, you know, with the, the, the red line out and all the speed and everybody, oh, it's so fast. But, you know, the way they play defense now, they flood the, the, the whatever corner the, the puck is in. They, they got five guys down there. It's so hot. Yeah, you overload, you overload the corner. Yeah. yeah. Well, I just think it's always funny how people are like, oh, what's the best hockey? Well, it's playoff hockey because they don't call penalties. Yeah. The the hitting ramps up. It's more intense. There's more face washes. There's more scrums, and everybody's yeah. in love with playoff hockey. So, I I think there's a fine balance, and I think we'll kind of tip back a little bit towards the way it would be or was, excuse me. But we won't go won't fully back there, like you said. But 
not a bad thing, but yeah. It's funny. Uh, I know they were doing rivalry night in the NHL at one point, and they had Montreal playing, I think, Columbus. I'm there. Oh, that's, that's a <laughs> hell of a rivalry, <laughs> you know? But back yeah. in the day, we used to play, when we were, we were in the Adams division there, we played Boston four times in Boston, they played four times up here. It, it yeah, was, that's true. You had time that, you know, you built up that hate, you that animosity, you know? You had games close enough together where you remembered something that happened that game. We're going to, we're going to even the score. You don't have that anymore. It's, it's a little watered down that way, but hey, the parity, the league, uh, obviously the owners love it that way with the parity and, you know, well, uh, anybody. It's all about the Benjamins, it. right? Yeah. They need, they need Ovechkin to play in every rink and Crosby in every rink and those guys. Yeah, they, they have lost those rivalries. So, but yeah. hey, man, I, I we got to have you back on because this was great, Knox. I can't. John, I always such told a pleasure, you, man. I always told you. Anytime uh, you want to have me on, I'd be happy to come uh, talk a dog off a meat wagon. He's a liar, everybody. I ask him every day. He's like, I'm so busy. I can't do it. I got to do this and that. Never. Don't listen to him. <laughs> All right, Nux. Thank you so right, John, much, we'll man. Island, everybody. Text, yes, we I'll will. Text you. We'll talk tomorrow. Thanks, pal. All right, my man. Have a good night. We'll see you. All right, Tim. See you. Later, Chris. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Well, what an interview. What a guy. That's a blast. He's got he has, he's no shortage of stories. And though that's just scratching the surface.